Producing food that's as affordable as possible while still maintaining a profit for producers has pushed our food system to become larger, more consolidated, and more centralized. But emerging trends in sustainability and resiliency have some, like Walden Local Meat CEO Philip Giampietro, pushing for more local and regional food systems. It became much more clear to people as we went into the pandemic that those regional food systems are critical and we've all but killed them. Walden is involved in every aspect of the local value chain, from influencing production practices to processing the meat to delivering it themselves to consumers in the Northeast. We haven't scaled sustainable farming in a way to make it completely accessible, but Walden is kind of one of the few places that I know where you can get a share to feed your family starting at $39 a month. And so for most folks, that wouldn't make sense to put that in a box and hand it to FedEx. But because we're doing our own delivery routes and the marginal cost of putting that share on that van to drop it in, in a house or, or nearby neighborhood is relatively low, we can do that. Philip Giampietro talks about building a regional food system from scratch with guest co-host Jeanette Barnard on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to sit down with the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. We have a great show for you today about what it takes to build a regional food system that can scale in today's market that has really high expectations when it comes to things like taste and flavor and convenience and healthiness and social and environmental impact and beyond. Walden Local Meat has been building their company serving the Northeast U.S. since 2014. They have a great story about what it takes to make this approach work and where they see the future of local and regional food systems. Now, some of you might already know that I grew up uh, in California on a small direct-to-consumer specialty livestock business, so this concept is certainly one that is of interest to me and definitely near and dear to my heart, so I'm excited to share this episode with you here today. But before we hear from Philip, I want to thank our sponsor for this quarter, which is Merck Animal Health Ventures. Merck Animal Health Ventures is a premier investor in animal ag tech. They invest in companies creating the next generation of animal identification and monitoring technology to advance animal health, as well as new business models to create value from animal data. Merck Animal Health Ventures partners with early stage technology companies to successfully scale solutions for their customers, which include livestock producers, veterinarians, and pet owners. For more information, check out the Merck Animal Health Ventures website, which we will, of course, link in the show notes. And if you're an entrepreneur out there who's in an animal health related industry, make sure you definitely get in touch with them. Thanks so much, Merck Animal Health Ventures, for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, so now it is my pleasure to introduce our featured guest, Philip Giampietro, CEO and president of Walden Local Meat Company. Founded in 2014, Walden is New England and New York's leading brand of locally raised sustainable meat, and we are going to talk about what they mean exactly by sustainable. They're part of the first cohort of companies to legally reincorporate as a public benefit corporation, or B Corp. Philip says their purpose is to make local work, 
with a more specific mandate to connect adjacent rural and urban communities, produce the healthiest products possible with leading standards of animal welfare and environmental sustainability, and create incentives for farmers to move to more regenerative practices, which they define as those that are not simply do less harm, but those that provide a net positive benefit to the environment and surrounding communities. Before Walden, Philip was a director at Bain Capital, and before that held various positions in private equity and consulting. Now, I'm actually not going to be interviewing Philip today. Here to perform that honor is my good friend, venture investor, writer of the Prime Future newsletter, and regular co-host on the show, Jeanette Barner. If you've been listening for long, you heard her co-host episodes 225, 233, 246, 299, and 312 of this show. Jeanette, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Tim. Great to be here. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited that you're excited about this topic today, because in my mind, for a long time, it's kind of been like local meat, you know, sort of like it's kind of cute, right? But it's not like going to make a dent in the future of agriculture. But I think there are some dynamics that are sort of changing there, don't you think? I totally agree. I mean, this is one of the things when I started Prime Future in 2020, and that was the beginning of COVID, the world has lost its mind. The meat case at most grocery stores is, you know, it's it's just running empty as quickly as uh, workers in the grocery store can restock it. At that time, one of my big hypotheses was like, wait a minute, this feels like a tipping point for changing how we buy meat, or at least how some segment of the population buys meat some portion of the time. And it felt like a tailwind for direct-to-consumer, which it very much has been. What's interesting about this story is that this company is not, this is not a pandemic born company, right? This is a company that's been been going for a while. They're, you know, kind of kind of OGs of of local meat. I mean, you've got Butcher Box that's the big direct to consumer play. You've got Barn to Door that's kind of an infrastructure type play helping producers to figure out how to go into a D2C mode. But, you know, they're working with producers that are operating at let's say a smaller scale in terms of their direct to consumer business. And then Walden Local was one of the ones that just kept popping up. I didn't know a ton about their model. So this conversation with Philip was really enjoyable for me just to to dig in and understand more about how their system actually works and how they've constructed their business model. And I, I don't want to give too much away because everybody's about to hear it. But what would you say is something to be listening for in this story of an insight that you might want to listen for as, as you're looking for how this might impact the future of ag? So one is this idea of the flywheel. They didn't set out to do logistics the way they ended up doing logistics, but the way they do logistics has really impacted their entire model. The other thing that's really interesting to me is Philip is very clear. They're not a direct-to-consumer company. They are a, a meat member share, right? And so when you subscribe or when you join their system as a member, you're really going to get most of the cuts of the carcass. And so one of the major challenges with direct-to-consumer, one of the major challenges is just processing capacity. That's a huge bottleneck, as we all know. And then the second one is how do you balance the carcass? Everybody wants steaks, right? <laughs> Not everybody wants everything else. And so that's the big challenge. But this member share model allows them to balance the carcass. And so just listening for how Philip describes that is something that I think could be uh, really informative for a lot of listeners. All right, well, let's dive in here to hear that and a whole bunch more. Uh, so without further ado, here's Jeanette's interview with Philip Giampietro of Walden Local Meat. I'm going to drop you into the conversation here where Philip is defining sustainability for Jeanette and what they mean when they use that term to describe their business model and the products they source for customers. 
from a business perspective, the way I describe it simply is stakeholder capitalism, which is to say that we need to be responsible for all stakeholders in our system, whether we're talking about the environment, the animals, the farmers, the partners that we work with to help process the meat, our own employees, our member families, the communities that we work in, that we drive in, that we deliver shares in, everybody who helps to make what we do possible, we need to take that into account and make sure we're attributing things correctly. What's really important there is that you actually hold yourself responsible. So Walden is a B Corp and we are officially a public benefit corporation, which means we are not just saying that we have a mission that we stick to. I'm one of five board members. We have an obligation to uphold a set of mission-driven principles beyond just the financial and shareholder outcome of the company. And our shareholders are an incredibly important stakeholder to us as well, but it's clear to them and clear to everybody else, they are not the only stakeholder. And what our job is as a company is to make sure that we have a business model that can sustain itself and that we bring people into the system that truly believe and find ways that the way to create the most value on any kind of aspect that I talked about is by actually caring about all the aspects. Otherwise, you know, it's more likely a flash in the pan that you optimize around just the finances of the company. That's good and great, but that's probably at the expenses of your farming partners. And it's probably at the expense of your members, which means it's at the expense of your brand. And so you're not going to have a sustainable business. From a partner kind of focused business, the piece that is really important is as I'm sure you know, agriculture has gone through many evolutions. And, and certainly as we came into the industrial age, we found what probably at the time were some very clever and really smart ways to kind of re-engineer what farming meant. But as we started to move through it, there were some faults and things that needed to be worked on. And certainly as we moved through it, what we learned is similar to what you could see in other industries. There were pieces of that value chain that got left behind. And, and one of the big places is farmer and land and environment. And so when we think about Walden Local, kind of where do we fit in the value chain? Somebody could say, well, well, we help kind of balance the animal for farmers, but we like to think of ourselves long-term as stewards of the land. And if we do that the right way, we want to promote and uphold and support the responsible shepherds and good animal practices and good animal husbandry so that everybody in the value chain is healthy. And so from our perspective, that leads to a couple of things. One is really, really close partnerships. We really want to understand how our partners are doing. So not just are they living up to standards from a Walden perspective, you know, pasture-based, hormone-free, antibiotic-free, herbicide and pesticide-free feels, good animal welfare practices, uh, and still producing the highest quality meat that you could possibly get. But we also want to make sure that they're doing the right things for themselves. They're doing the right things for their workers. They are being good community participants. So we work really, really closely with our farming partners. We're actually the majority owner of the largest processing facility in the region. We moved into that position again because it was a, a pinch point that was really affecting and hurting our farming partners where they said they couldn't have access, not just for Walden, but for their other business to high quality processing at affordable prices. And so we looked to solve that. And I could go on forever, but Needless to say, we took that all the way down to the value chain. We do our own last mile delivery. And I can go into a lot of reasons why I think that's important. But that level of integration from our standpoint really lets us know how everybody in the value chain is doing and lets us do everything at the best, highest possible standards, make sure everybody can make a fair living and make sure that we can live up to the standards that are truly important to us. And then finally, you get to, you know, how accessible is our product? And the short answer is we try to make it as accessible as possible, but it's not there yet. 
we haven't scaled sustainable farming in a way to make it completely accessible. But Walden is kind of one of the few places that I know where you can get a share to feed your family starting at $39 a month. And so for most folks, again, that wouldn't make sense to put that in a box and hand it to FedEx. But because we're doing our own delivery routes and the marginal cost of putting that share on that van to drop it in in a house or, or nearby neighborhood is relatively low, we can do that. So we're working really, really hard to make this accessible. And that goes to the part of thinking about not just the member families that they serve in their immediate communities, but all the communities that make up where we live and making sure that we try to work to support that. So that's a big piece of of what we're doing and what we're trying to push forward. Awesome. Okay, let's go back. And you talked about these relationships with your farmers. How do you structure your contracts? Meaning, are you locking in with your suppliers on a forward contract basis? Or are they selling you some percentage of their calf crop, for example? Is it cost plus? Uh, how, How do you think about those partnerships and how you structure them? Yeah, it's a really important question. So the first piece is we don't have one standard contract. We try to create contracts that work best for the farming partner. But over time, those farming partners typically work their way to a scale and comfort with us where they're usually year-long contracts, almost regardless of species. Though some, some of that then may turn it into seasonal contracts, but still it's for the year, which says it's a certain number of animals you know, over a certain cadence of time. So whether a farmer is coming in and providing animals on a weekly or monthly or quarterly or twice a year basis, or we have you know, still some farmers that just drop five animals off one time a year, but we move them to a cadence. And there's a, a few reasons why we do that. First, it provides consistency to that farming partner, which is really, really important. So they know what they're working towards over a long period of time. They can set up their business. They can hire their employees. They can think about buying the assets that they need on the farm. They can think about raising the, the, the right number of animals that they need to do that to move forward. And, and we work with them to say, what's the right number? We never require exclusivity. That's really important for us. That That is a way that, you know, even with your best intentions, you can find yourself in a bad situation with farmers. We always want to give farmers the ability to go find other markets to sell their animals to. And we help them pay for their gap audits and gap certifications. We pay for them to move in organics, like if they want to go towards organic feed or anything like that. And then they get to use that and the higher prices that they can demand for that and go out and sell their animals other places as well. So we want to make sure that we're giving them a viable living and we want to make sure that we're their best partner all the time. And and so we want to make sure that we are staying competitive to earn their business. So we don't require exclusivity but we do work with them really hard to make sure that every year they're producing a better product. Every year they're getting more certifications, which Walden doesn't itself currently put on our labels, but the farmers can use those in other avenues when they sell their meat. And then we try to move to very consistent pricing. Again, kind of taking out the peaks and valleys of what happens from ebb and flow or a perspective, both from a farmer and from a processor. That processor piece is really important especially in our region, what you typically see is everybody wanting to process in the fall. So come late October, definitely by September and into early November, you know, nobody can get slots, processors are full, and then you come to February and it's totally dead. And that's really hard. It's hard from a labor's perspective. It's hard from an asset perspective. It's hard from a planning. And so there's just not a good match of what 
you know, maybe an individual farmer can do versus what a processing plant can do. So we work among our farming partners to help them work with each other. Who has the best overwintering facilities? Who can do that? How do we schedule them? How do we work with other partners that don't? You know, who has the ability to produce animals at what point of time, depending on where they are, and schedule between those farmers to balance out how those animals flow from farmer to processor and then eventually to our member families so that the system is really well balanced. And that balance is, you know, really so critical. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to hear you talking about balancing of the system across, you know, the farmer supply going into the processing plant, because then there's also the fact of, you know, balancing the carcass, which speaks to just your entire model around the animal share program. So this balance in the ecosystem is a, is a big theme here. Before we leave this, tell me a little bit more about your farmer partners. What do you look for in terms of mentality, in terms of farm size? What are the characteristics of your ideal suppliers? Yeah, there's a few pieces and and it's evolving, I would say. So first, it depends on species. And, you know, depending on those species, we'll take a look at their farm and help them think about, oh, this would work well, this wouldn't. You know, for instance, it's great to have really nice flat land if you're going to do poultry farming because you want to be moving hoop houses around you know, at least once a day, but more likely twice a day to new grass. And pushing or sliding those those hoop houses from one patch of grass to the other is, is much easier on flatland. From a cattle perspective, we want to look at kind of how would you move your herd on a day-to-day basis and what would that flow look like and can we lay that map out? And if you have another species in front or behind, like how would that move? And so we start to think about farmers of like, what are the right set of species and how would you move? So one is, what does the land look like? Where is their interest lie? The second is, what's their level of competency with what they're trying to do? Are they new to the system? You know, is it a family farm where they've been doing this for generations and know exactly what they do and have it dialed in? And so again, we try to be really flexible on what's happening there. The one piece that I would say is important to realize about New England and something that we're trying to support, but something that we're trying to step up is if you look kind of at a national level, what farms are doing is they're growing in size. So the number of farms is shrinking the farms that still exist are are growing in the number of land and the average age of farmers is going up. None of them in and of themselves particularly bad, but if you take that to its extreme, it starts to say like, well, if that continues, there could be issues. New England is very different. So the number of farms are actually increasing and the average age of farmers is coming down. And that's a really good trend. We want to do more to start to promote and teach folks about farming. But what I want to say is really important. We have folks come to Walden all the time and imagine farming as one thing and quickly learn that it is another. So, you know, I am always the first to acknowledge and say farming is incredibly hard work. The last thing that we look for in folks is grit and determination and a realistic view of what their day to day looks like. It's incredibly rewarding, but it's very, very hard. And we want to make sure that people know what they're getting into. So we're working really hard from a Walden perspective to start to think about how do we bridge the gap between people who want to get into farming, want to learn about farming, to what farming actually is, like getting people from here to there. Because that is a really, really hard time for folks is they they get in and they find themselves one, two, three years in, in a farm that's not viable economically not producing what they wanted to do. And and they themselves are, you know, starting to burn out. And I think a lot of that has to do with 
you know, how we set that up properly. And so we're looking at mentorship programs or other classes or things that Walden can set up, but we're very, very early days in, in that. So in the meantime, you know, we try to be that person that can step up and buy whole animals and create a viable system in that sense. But we do want to go one step further and start to accelerate what we're seeing in the Northeast already in terms of those trends, because I think those are really important trends and they're ones that we want to see in the rest of the country as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's shift gears just a little bit then and let's go to processing. So you mentioned that Walden Local uh, has ownership in a processing plant. Is that one single processing plant where all animals are slaughtered that come through your system or are you working with multiple processing plants? We work with multiple processing plants. The plant that we own does beef and pork and it's really on the beef side where there's the biggest bottleneck in the Northeast and in New England in particular, in terms of the right amount of processing capacity for the farmers that we have. So that's what we were looking to solve. It's not the only place that we process. And and certainly we don't think that we have to be owners of processing plants, but we do know now that we can be. Over the last eight years, we've learned a lot about that piece of the business. And as we've become owners, we've learned a lot about managing it and, and we know it's a place we can be. So just like with our farming partners, there's a lot of different models that work. So we can be small customers at some of the plants that we're at. We can be big customers at some of the plants that we're at. We can be anchor customers for new plants to start, as we did with a a poultry facility in New York last year, or we can be owners of plants. So again, we try to be a little bit nimble. We do the, the best thing that makes sense for the system, again, taking all stakeholders into account. So I think mid scale processors are really hard to find. Good mid scale processors are nearly impossible to find. And it's something that, you know, not just in our region, but kind of throughout the U.S. is is something that's needed. So we have some partners in other parts of the U.S. that we've learned from and continue to talk with and share best practices that we really appreciate. Folks like Lorenz Meat, Mike and Rob Lorenz out in the, the Midwest, and they do a phenomenal job and have been for the last 20 plus years. And so there's a lot to learn and a lot to share. And I think there's a lot of opportunity on, on that side. From a poultry processing facility, same thing. I think, again, there's the ability to kind of open what I would say smaller footprint plants that can still run more animals through the plant and create a really hyper local system. It allows farmers to do well. That plant can really do well and produces just a much higher quality, better tasting product that ends up on our members doorstep. I guess maybe in some, what a lot of folks don't realize is a huge piece of what's on their plate and how it tastes and how it's perceived by them happens at processing. So if farming is half the magic, the other half happens at the processing plant. And that's everything from how it's cut, how it's aged, hopefully one very, very short bad moment for that animal and nothing more. So the stress level and animal handling to how it's packaged, how quickly the meat is brought down to the right temperatures, that it's packaged in a high quality way, that it's stored and that those temperatures are maintained, you know, kind of throughout the entire system. And the more steps that you have in between from processor to what ends up on your table, the more opportunity there are for things to go wrong, which is why for us, it it comes from that processing plant that we own or our partners that we're really close with. And it goes on to a Walden truck. And from a Walden truck, it stays in Walden possession until we drop it on your doorstep. Okay, let's go there. Tell us more about that logistics piece and tell us both about the system and and how you execute last mile delivery, but also tell us about how you got into that piece of this yourself instead of outsourcing the delivery. Yeah, the last mile is something that everybody always scratches their heads at when we say that's what we do. And when we first started, it was a head scratcher at Walden as well. So 
last mile delivery started at Walden out of necessity, not out of strategic business plan, which is we started small. And so it literally was one person in a van driving around and actually picking and packing the shares in the back of that delivery van themselves in people's driveways before they drop it on the doorstep. You know, it's just a very, very small system. And we said to ourselves, so when we scale, we'll move to a third party provider because we'll be big enough to get the right rates. But we learned a few things pretty quickly. One is um, that putting a face to the company is really important when you're building a local company. So having our own employees driving vans and being able to say hi to our members or our members' neighbors who are asking about Walden local meat and what's in here and how do I cook this or what's Walden all about is super, super important. A driver who takes a lot of pride in their work, you know, who picks up the knocked over trash can that maybe some other delivery driver knocked over when they pass by the house, again, is behind that idea of building community. But we also learned that from a cost perspective, it was actually better as as we grew, you know, it took some time to learn how to, to route, but as we learned how to do it, we have efficiencies that are every bit as good as a FedEx or UPS or, or the postal service. And so that became really important. Again, having control over the meat and the temperatures of the meat and how they're dropped are, are super important. Our drivers can take very specific member direction on how and where to leave shares. Most things get dropped at a mailbox or at the door, but that's not what everybody actually wants. And so we're able to do that. And, and we have somebody that's on a consistent route and they know that house and they know how that member wants their share drop or where they want it put. So now we're, we move into a position where, hey, wait a second, we're doing this at scale cheaper than how we could do it before. We're actually able to put a real face to our business for members, which is really important. We have rolling billboards out in the communities, which we learned was super important. And then the last piece, which is it gave us our own backhaul system. So it allowed us to use higher quality packaging that could get reused. So rather than dropping boxes with massive amounts of packaging on people's doorsteps, that you know, even if it can be recycled, there's a real question to how much of it is, and it puts the burden of that on our member family. Instead, we drop our meat in a super high quality reusable bag that we then pick up on our next drop. So our members leave their bags out. We pick those bags up, we come, we clean them, and they get ingested back into our system to get reused. So we pay more for our bags, but it actually costs us less than a cardboard box with the reuse. And there's no way we could possibly do that without our own last mile delivery system. The thing that we trade off on is, at least for the current moment, is the ability to offer something like delivery in the next hour or next 15 minutes or or maybe same day delivery in some aspects. And, you know, I think for some folks that is an issue, but I, I also think for the people that have become members with Walden and what Walden is to them, it's actually okay because we're category replacement at the grocery store. We're not the tomahawk ribeye that somebody's using for their backyard barbecue. We are literally at their table, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. And so we get on a regular cadence with them and, and that cadence works fine. And so now I'll save the best for last, which is the member program and what that means and, and what I just said. So if we're category replacement and we basically want to be your grocery store for meat, because if you're going to eat sustainably raised meat, you really need to eat it all the time. If we're going to change the system, you can't do that without being nearly perfect. And so if you're a member family and we want you to stay with us for 
three, four, five plus years, which is how long our members stay with us. The number one reason we lose members is they move out of the area that we serve by a very large margin is you've got to deliver them the right product in the right way all the time. And if you look at third-party delivery systems, their stated error rates are roughly around 2%. And that means like the package like literally didn't make it or everything was broken. So their real error rate is more like 4% when it's kind of out on their front lawn or the package is really dented. So if you think about that on a monthly program, that means that over the course of a year, a quarter of our membership base has the potential, if not much higher, to have a bad delivery. That just doesn't work. Our success rates are... 99.7, 99.8% on our delivery, you know, almost perfect. And that's what's really required. And I think we don't consider ourselves kind of a direct to consumer program that's just sort of a marketing arm sitting in between where, you know, your goal is to get as many people in, in the program at the top, because you're losing so many as you go through. Our goal is to get somebody in and then to have that member or that member family want to stay with us forever. So having that control becomes really, really important. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about scale. I mean, how do you think about scale? What will it take to scale? Is it your model that will be challenged to scale? Or is it finding enough suppliers? Is it finding enough customers? What are the bottlenecks to scaling this type of a local model? At, at a big picture, as we push forward, you know, where we started with balance is the big piece, which is is balance coming through. So to make sure that we are creating the right amount of supply and demand so that the system can grow responsibly. And what that means is there is a timeline to raising animals. Most people that aren't working with Walden aren't yet farming to Walden standards. And so we need to bring our current farmers there and new farmers into the system in a way that can meet the demand that we're trying to generate. And so that balance becomes really important. As we start to do that and grow, and we've gotten really good at thinking forward about what our plans are for the future, and therefore what we need to be communicating today to our partners for the next year, the next two years, the next three years, then we start to look into, okay, what are the bottlenecks from there? And that's where we got into, all right, processing is one of those bottlenecks. And I won't say that we have that solved, but we've gone a long way there with what we've done at Vermont Packing House and our ownership on that front and what we've done with our partnerships on the poultry side and what we're doing to start to build processing relationships as we start to think about serving New York in in a larger way. And so I think that's going to be a really important piece of the puzzle. I think from a land perspective, from an animal perspective, and from a current farmer and people that are looking or wanting to get into farmer, I think that demand is there. They just need to see a system there that's, that's going to support them. From a Walden perspective, we feel really good we're always trying to look around corners and are very cautious in our approach. But because we're trying to do things the right way, we've been really fortunate and lucky to attract and continue to attract great individuals onto the Walden team. And so from a Walden labor perspective, that's been a place that I'll knock on wood. We've been super fortunate. And I'd say when you put that all together, yes, we can't turn around and be a huge system tomorrow. But I think we can grow responsibly. And I think growing responsibly is enough to change the way that people eat. And I think growing responsibly into new geographies, you know, as unintuitive as it may sound, is a way to kind of make the system even more local. Because you think about our supply chain and that bubble starts to grow out as we start to serve new geographies. And then we get big enough where we can pop that bubble into two smaller bubbles. So we can actually get more local as we scale. And that's what we've done from a Walden perspective. And so I'd finish by saying that that was 
part of the original thesis of Walden, which is regional local food systems are incredibly important. And we saw that being the case before we went into the pandemic. It became much more clear to people as we went into the pandemic that those regional food systems are critical and we've all but killed them. So we were able to not just survive, but to thrive during the pandemic. And when I say we, I'm, I'm not talking just about Walden. I'm talking about our farming partners. It was their time to shine. So when industrial food systems were shutting down and closing up and breaking down and food was running off of grocery store shelves, our member families were continuing to get shares as they were supposed to. And that's one more reason why regional food systems are just so important. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I always push back a little bit when I hear people say that the industrial systems broke during the pandemic. I think it's fair to say they bent. I don't know that it's fair to say that they broke. But to your point that, you know, local regional food systems really had their moment, as as best I understand it, basically anywhere in the country, if you were trying to get a slot at a local processor to slaughter a, a beef, you were looking six to eight to 12 months out because people were looking local for, for food supply. So it really was an interesting time. Have you seen that drop off as we've started to come out of the pandemic? Or do you see that that was more of an inflection and now there's even more interest in local food? I, I think what we've seen is now there's even more interest in local food. I think there's a couple things that changed over the course. And, and I would agree with you. Maybe broke is a strong word. Though I would say like when you're looking at meat prices that went up 15% and now we're moving into an inflationary environment and they're up another 25%, that's not sustainable. And so we do think things have changed quite a bit. So and a couple of things happened during the pandemic. One is folks became more accustomed to getting things delivered to their home. So anybody who tried that system, that's sort of there to stay. I think there are pluses and minuses of that, but I, I think that's important for local food systems. And as we just talked about how our integrated system works, I think can be really, really beneficial. I think as people started to realize, you know, they were in places where either the price or the availability of what they were looking for, and in our case, meat, was at a minimum or hard to come by, that became really important in people. And, and that won those folks over. And I think those folks kind of continue to support and become brand evangelists for us. And then there's the last group of people, which is a huge community that couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't be out and going to a grocery store. And again, that local system with the wrapper of community becomes really important. And, and I do think it's, it's not impossible, but it's, it's hard to care from afar. We haven't even talked about our member experience team, but our member experience team is also all employees and they know the people that they're talking to in the regions that they're working with. When one of our members calls, if they don't know that member specifically from past interactions, they know a lot about that member from where they live. They know the streets, they know the history of the neighborhood. And those things are really important. So when a member calls and they have you know, an issue that they need to change, they're met with understanding. And it's not just because it's a company principle, which it is, but it's because these are our neighbors. And, you know, in some sense, you can lose touch with that. That is awesome. Okay, this has been such a fascinating conversation. So thanks so much for sharing your insights and the story and uh, just the progress that you've had in building up this company and the system, this alternative approach that you're taking uh, to the meat business. Thanks, Jeanette. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for the time. 
All right, Jeanette, thank you very much, by the way, for finding interviews like this, because these are people that aren't in my network, in my sphere at all. And so it's just cool to have your help in bringing these stories. So really appreciate another great one today. Let's talk takeaways here. You know, what stands out to you that really is going to stick with you going forward? So one idea is the idea of the flywheel. It is the idea that innovation happens at a system level. And it's it's the way you put those pieces together to build up the business model that that is what differentiates ultimately the customer experience from one company to the next. So that's one. The other one for me is what Philip described is this idea that a lot of times what's good for the brand and good for the customer is also good for operations. You know, the way they talk about how they handle logistics and you know, their efforts around reducing the number of faulty deliveries and how the result of that is you get improved customer experience. The customer is getting the the right product delivered at the right time, week in, week out, month in, month out. And so it's good for operations and from a cost perspective, but it's also good for customer experience. And I I love that that duality uh, of those types of dynamics. So that's one thing that I, I really appreciate about Philip's comments. Right. Well, super interesting and worth worth thinking about. And I would love to see, you know, something similar to what Walden's doing in the Northeast happen everywhere yeah, in, in the U.S. and serve this subsegment of the customers that really do want this type of product. So thanks for bringing this one to us. And uh, I know you've got another one coming up here in just a few weeks. Do you want to uh, tease that one for us as well? I will, because this is one of my favorite conversations I've had. It is a producer that Actually, he started his career as a consultant in dairy and then uh, kind of mid-career made a switch and uh, became a partner in a dairy operation and then became CEO of that operation. And then they have just been so progressive and so aggressive in their growth strategy. And I think future of ag listeners are going to really enjoy hearing Greg Bethard, the way he thinks about his business, the way he thinks about growth, the way he thinks about showing up every day, as he said, put your boots on and go to work every morning to tackle the challenges. So it was definitely an energizing conversation. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much again. And thanks to all of you listening. We'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. 